Thank you, Pastor, so much. Greg, thank you for the way you lead us in worship, for teaching Sunday school. Gordon and Carol, so many. Carl's back there in the, that little room in the back to make sure you can hear my voice. Maybe you shouldn't have said that. You might want him to go turn it down. But I'm just grateful for all of you who do so much that we might be able to gather like this and worship in the way that we do as we have this privilege of coming before our good and gracious God. And I direct your attention as we continue to worship him to his word. Coming to Luke chapter 9, where we'll begin reading today with verse 28. In this journey, in consideration of the life and the ministry of our Lord Jesus, we come to a place today that is going to express to us things that are too wonderful for our ears too incomprehensible for us to understand as much as we would like. But oh, how wonderful it is to have any kind of information at all about something that matters. I remember talking to an older relative some years ago who had a son who was fighting in Europe in World War II and talking about how little word they got about him and how he was doing and how every little bit of information they got was just precious to them. In our last trip to Waynesville, I saw a lady that I've known all my life and I grew up in church under, and she now well into her 90s. As I walked up to her, she just started talking about how that her brother Rufus was um, stationed at Pearl Harbor. And when the attack came there on the 7th of December, it was many days before his parents found any word about it. You know, now we get instantaneous information, but something happens all the way around the world, and we hear about it seconds later. And we forget, you know, how slow information traveled at one point. And so for days, they heard nothing. They were hoping for anything. And then finally, word came. Rufus was all right. He had survived. He surely did, because I knew him. And uh, remember him singing in the choir when I was growing up. But information like that is precious to us say that to try to underscore how precious it is that God has given us information about things that really matter, and in particular, about his beloved son. So listen as I read Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, The appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, 
And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. And as the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord stands forever. This is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. Amen. Sometimes you see things that absolutely upend your understanding of the world and of life. It can be a thing of beauty. As I've shared with you before, I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon. And some of you have had that experience. We got there in the evening. The sun was almost down. It was almost past seeing. But I remember running up there and looking and seeing this vast open chasm there deep in the earth. And I thought, wow. I've seen pictures before, but they have not done it justice. And then that was the evening. The next morning after the sun came up and was really shining on it, it was being awestruck all over again. Remember seeing the Grand Tetons for the first time, how amazing they are. And then here, right out here, just a couple of miles over on this Gulf Coast, looking toward the west in the evening when the sun sets. And you see the beauty of that painted sky, and you see all of that glorious evidence of a wonderful, amazing creator who would put something like that on display as it gives glory to his name. It changes you. It does something inside of you to behold something so beautiful and so wonderful. But there is nothing that transforms us as transforms us when we look by faith upon the Lord Jesus. And as the disciples saw Jesus in a moment, as he really is. For in this passage we see as if it were that the veil is lifted for just a few moments. And they don't see Jesus as he appeared to be. They see him as he really is. Hidden under the flesh as he had been clothed in flesh. Being fully God, becoming a man, he lived among them these years of ministry and teaching them and discipling them. And they, of course, saw him every day. But they didn't really see him as he really is, except for these few moments on this mountain. And as we've read these words, let's consider them in the little bit of time that we have. All of the what we refer to as the synoptic gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who tend to follow in many ways the same pattern of words in their expression of the life of the Lord Jesus. All three of them refer to this event. I believe that John also refers to it in chapter 1 of verse 14 when he says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now surely that points us toward the cross. But I believe John also had in mind this day on the mountain, when Jesus was transfigured before them. All of them reference it. You might think and read and realize that the writers speak of a different number of days that pass between what precedes and what comes after, but if you read it carefully, you realize there's no discrepancy here at all. About eight days, six days in the other accounts, but if Luke includes the two days as Jewish writers often did and as others would, Eight days is the right number. But not getting hung up there, he takes with him these three, Peter, James, and John, and it simply says, up on the mountain. Now, I spent an inordinate amount of time this past week trying to figure out which mountain this is. 
And there are lots of opinions out there. And so I want to be able to report to you today that I have come to the absolute definitive conclusion that this mountain remains unknown to us. You know, if the Lord wanted us to know, he would have told us. Is it Mount Hermon? Is it Mount Tabor? Ah, could be. The point is not which mountain it is. And whether or not you can go there today and actually buy some tourist trinket that says, I've been there. The point is the event that took place there. Not the location so that we might make a pilgrimage to it. But note in verse 29 that everything that happens is preceded by this important declaration. He was praying. He was praying. We think of the transformation, the transfiguration as we refer to it. But note that that happened because Jesus was praying. He was in fellowship with his Father. He was in communion and in communication with his Heavenly Father. Perhaps while we wouldn't expect ourselves to be transformed like to the Lord Jesus, we will be one day when we are glorified, but not here yet. We actually are as we are in appearance in the flesh. But if there's a lack of change in us, if there is a, if there's a lack of transformation, perhaps it is because there is a lack of fellowship and communion with the Lord. Spending time in his word and in prayer is essential in the life of a Christian. And Jesus patterns it for us in the course of his life. But it is as he was praying that his appearance changed. We don't have any photographs of this. We don't have any artistic representations made on the spot. Now, there are a lot of artistic representations that have been made centuries after it took place. But we don't know actually the way that things look, and that's by design. The words are enough. His appearance changed. His face was altered. His clothes became dazzling white, as if like flashes of lightning, literally. Or as I think Mark says, as no launderer on earth could have whitened them. We're talking about a transformation. We're not talking about something you could produce by putting more Clorox in the wash. There is something that happens here that is absolutely astounding and that defies the ability of words to explain it. Jesus suddenly radiates the glory of God in a way that transforms his whole being. He was still the Lord Jesus, and yet his face was altered. His clothing was changed. Don't you wish we knew more? Doesn't this pique your curiosity? And these disciples are there, you know, and they, they see all of this. And then, in addition to Jesus being transformed, suddenly there's Moses and Elijah standing there. Now, I was talking to somebody this morning and a couple of other people walked up. We all have that experience. But you don't have the experience of someone, as in the case of Moses, who had been dead for some twelve to 1,500 years who suddenly shows up. Or Elijah, who centuries before had been caught up in a great chariot of fire and horses. That just doesn't happen. And yet, here they are. It's worth noting, of course, that they're recognizable. People have asked me on many occasions, are we going to know each other in heaven? I believe that we will. And this is one of the evidences that we have. Moses and Elijah were identifiable with the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. After they had gone to glory. 
And here they are. And again, questions come to mind. How can Moses be here? He was buried. The Bible tells us that. He died. God buried him because he didn't want people to know where it was, but his body was there in the ground. And then Elijah was caught up to heaven. How does he get to come back? Well, if we needed to know, the Lord would have told us. What we know is what we have before us. They also appeared in glory, in this this radiance of the presence of God. But the attention is on the subject of their conversation. I mean, what would you talk about with two people like this? I mean, if, if you suddenly got to sit down with Abraham Lincoln for lunch tomorrow, what would you talk about? What would you uh, what would you talk about if you got to sit down with any one of your heroes, whoever it may have been? What would the discussion be? Here they talk about his departure, literally his exodus. Isn't that appropriate? After all, Moses is there. That might be his favorite word. Hey, what about this exodus? Kind of like Pastor John might throw out the word ubiquitous in a conversation like that. You know about that. The glory of the Lord is ubiquitous here. I, I don't know what John might say. It's Exodus. Isn't that interesting? How suddenly we have this strong parallel with the great redemptive act of the Old Testament suddenly coming forward in time. And here the Lord Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration as he is about to face his passion when he will suffer and die on the cross as he had articulated to his disciples. And lo and behold, that's the subject. There is an exodus to be performed. The exodus in the Old Testament was God rescuing his people from bondage to the Egyptians. Jesus will perform an exodus where he literally will be taken out and placed on a cross. But make no mistake about it, the ones ultimately who get taken out are us. We are removed from the curse and from the wrath of God. And there is deliverance and there is salvation. That's the subject of conversation here. Wouldn't you like to have heard it? Wouldn't you like to have been a a fly on a rock that day to have heard this discussion taking place? And how long did it all last? We don't really know. And then when they're leaving, there comes a time when Moses and Elijah are parting. You know, suddenly the disciples who are heavy with sleep That happens here. It will happen again in Gethsemane when Jesus said, watch with me for a little while. And they're so overcome with sorrow that sleep overpowers them. They can't stay awake. And here, strangely, it happens in this instance. But when there's a little bit of consciousness that dawns, Peter says something. And the Bible tells us plainly. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He just comes out with it, which he's prone to do. And which many of us have followed after. Master, it's good that we are here. Now, had he stopped there, all would be well. This is good. All right, Peter. Great statement. But then comes the suggestion. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. See that? Not knowing what he said. Now, the Israelites would do this whenever there was a manifestation of the presence of God. They were apt to erect a booth or a tabernacle or a tent. After all, God manifested his presence on Mount Sinai and they were instructed to build a tabernacle, a large one, 
larger than probably what Peter had in mind, but it was a precedent. That's what you did when a presence was manifested like this. But there's an issue. The Lord Jesus is present here on the mount. The Father is present there on the mount in the glory cloud. Moses and Elijah, they don't warrant a tabernacle or a tent, either for the both of them or for themselves individually. So as he's saying these things, the cloud comes, as we have heard read from Exodus, how that the cloud, of course, that had led the children of Israel during the day and appeared over Mount Sinai at the time of the giving of the law, that which demonstrates the presence of God, just like it did in the Isaiah chapter 6 in the antiphonal, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up smoke filled the temple. What is that? It's a cloud. It's a theophany. It's a manifestation of God's presence. This cloud comes and they're all in it. And of course here, now they're afraid. About this point, Peter said, you know, I should have just been quiet. And a voice coming from the cloud. This is too much. You know, this is, this is beyond comprehension. You know, don't lose sight of the fact that this happens and these three don't die. You know, the Bible has made clear in more than one place that you can't just look upon God and live. Because we are sinners. Remember how Moses, even though he and the elders saw God at a distance, they, they saw this exceedingly glorious presence, God, with even a flooring under him that was like a, a heavenly transparency. And we wonder, what did that look like exactly? Even though they got to see manifestations of God's presence, they really couldn't look on him. And so later... Moses makes the request, Lord, I want to see you. And God has to tell him, that would be too much for you, Moses. But I'll tell you what, I'll carve out a place in the cleft of the rock and I'll place you in it and I'll cover it. And as I pass by, at one point, as it were, you know, I'll kind of spread my fingers just a little bit so that you can see. That's all he could take. And that was so much when he came down from the mountain, he terrified the people because he radiated the glory of God. Now, notice a couple of things from that. One is that based on that, it is astounding that these disciples, James, Peter, and John, however close to the Lord they may have been, were able to look and live. That's what Jesus does for us. We are able to have fellowship and communion with God, who is holy, whose eyes are more pure than can look upon sin, in whose presence we could not abide, we could not live, But because of the mediatorial work of Christ, we are able to live and abide in the presence of God. And we will in heaven without being consumed by the one who is described as a consuming fire. The Lord Jesus does that for us. No one else can. So they live. The other thing is, is that they hear testimony. Now, we've all been in cases where we heard testimony, people telling us what they've seen whether they're reporting a car accident or whether they're reporting the score of a ball game. We've heard people testify and tell us things, varying degrees of importance. And so, again, we come up against this whole notion, who is Jesus really? What's his true identity? Scholars of all stripes weigh in. 
offer all kinds of opinions and suggestions. But here's the one that matters. God, the Father, testifies from the cloud and says definitively, this is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. And so by way of wrapping up, let me refer to the outline. The transfiguration of Christ on the mountain, whichever mountain it was, is the ultimate preview. What do I mean by that? It actually happened. Jesus was actually transformed, but it was a temporary experience. Eventually, the cloud departs and Jesus returns to his appearance as it had been prior to his transfiguration. But ultimately, he's demonstrating what he is really like and the way that we shall see him when we trust in him by faith in this life when we appear before him in glory. Peter refers to this event, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 19. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this, this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What's he saying? He's saying, in essence, this. People, we got this preview like you've never seen. As Jesus was transformed, transfigured before us, and we saw him in his majesty. And it's beyond description. Understand who Jesus really is. Not described by those who have gone to seminary so that they can receive instruction on explaining why the Bible doesn't really say what it says. Those are not pastors. Those are false teachers. We take God at his word. His testimony is what carries the weight. And when he says, this is my beloved son, he means what he says. So what we see here in this appearance of the Lord Jesus as he really is when the veil is lifted in these moments and when we see Moses and Elijah there conversing with him we again are reminded that the premier wonder on earth and heaven is the death of the Son of God our uh, our five-year-old grandson going to a Christian school came home and uh, asking his parents How could Jesus die on a cross? How can God die? He's getting there, you know. He's wrestling with concepts that the greatest of minds can't fully comprehend. So how is it that the Son of God would be able to come to earth as a human being? And how could he die? We even see that in the Revelation, chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Then I look. This is John. Remember the one who was there on that Mount of Transfiguration. Now in the Revelation is given this this vision of heaven. Again, the veil is removed and he's able to see things that he couldn't otherwise. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Now, this is after the fact. Jesus has died. He has been resurrected. He has ascended. He is enthroned in glory. And according to many people, that heavenly hosts should be saying, worthy is the lamb who was raised. 
But the wonder is, he was slain. Of course he was raised. There was no way the grave could hold the Son of God. But how could the Son of God die? What would compel him to do such a thing? Oh, the love that compelled him. And it is still the wonder of heaven as the angels long to look into such things. And so he is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then finally, as I've already alluded to, the testimony of God the Father concerning his Son is definitive and binding. He's not merely offering an opinion. He's telling us the hard truth. This is my Son, my chosen one, my beloved. Listen to him. And so you have Moses and Elijah there on the mountain, representative of what? The law and the prophets. All of the law of God testifying to God himself and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that moment? And we'll get to it in Luke one of these days, God willing, if Jesus tarries. When after the resurrection, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he counters these two disciples and they're talking about what's happened. And Jesus gets into conversation with them. And before it's over, Luke tells us that he begins to explain to them from the law and the prophets all the things concerning him. Oh, man, to have been in that Bible study. They point to him. Moses and Elijah, representative of all of those saints of old who proclaim God's truth, were proclaiming to us the Lord Jesus Christ. And there they are on the mountain. And what are they talking about? His death. That the Son of God would suffer. As Jesus had told his disciples, he would. And he's going to have to keep telling them because they still don't get it. And it's extraordinary that even though they've heard him, and now that they've seen this, and they've heard the testimony of Moses and Elijah, they still don't get it. But you know what? The light dawns. After his death and after his resurrection and after the Holy Spirit comes to abide within them, he brings to their memory all of these glorious events and words so that they're able to convey them to us. And then it all comes together and makes sense for them. And so I pray it does for you. Because we know ultimately a failure to understand these things is not an intellectual deficiency on our part. I'm looking at you folks. You all look... Smart, you're attentive, you're listening, although that may be a reason to question your intelligence, given the one that you're listening to. But you see, the problem is not ultimately a lack of intellect. It's not because some have lower IQs than others. They're completely, totally brilliant people in the world who don't get it. They think all that we're doing right now is, is foolishness and a waste of time, that we ought to be doing something out there that's, that's productive. Why is it that smart people don't get this? It's because they're blinded to the things of God. The disciples didn't comprehend all of this. They couldn't put it all together until the Holy Spirit enlightened them and brought it to their minds and removed the blinders so that they could see. And so my prayer for you in this moment is that each of us will, by faith, see Jesus as he really is. Because once you see him as he is, you're never the same after that. It's not about um, the preacher. It's not about the building that we're meeting in. It's about the God we worship. The truth concerning him. Truth that is now revealed to us. Truth that is conveyed to us by God as we read this text, as we 
think of this actual historical event and how it has real meaning in our lives because here we get a glimpse of what we one day shall see. And unlike this event, there will be no end to that. Have you ever been in those moments where you just wish, I just wish this could go on? You know, like like little Ethan the other day, you know, when we were up there the other week and I picked him up and he just laid his head on my shoulder. Just stay right there. But it ends. He wants his mama or his granny. And that's okay. They need to have their experiences too. Just not as much as grandpa. Isn't it wonderful to think that one day we who believe now will see him as he is and the glory will never depart. The experience will go on and on When I tell you the doctor has good news, I mean it. And may God impress upon your hearts this news that is greater than anything this stammering tongue could ever try to convey. Because we have a Savior who is so wonderful, who is so glorious, and who is so loving that He has come and He has done it all for you and me. That we may know Him in His glory. Father in heaven, blessed be your name. We have 10,000 reasons and then so many more to bless you. Oh, gracious Father, wouldn't you please be pleased to bless even the foolishness of this preaching undertaken in these moments. To open our eyes to something more wonderful than this poor proclaimer could ever articulate. Oh, Father. Grant that in as much as is possible in this sin-ridden world that you would clear away the debris and the obscurities, the noise, and all that would keep us from seeing that by your grace we might behold your beloved victorious Son who by way of his life is suffering his burial, by his resurrection, ascension, enthronement, and intercession. By way of all of that, we have one that has done all that is necessary that we too may dwell in glory. We thank you, Father, that unlike Moses who merely reflected what he had seen, Jesus literally emanates what is his. And so may we see your glorious Son as he is and be like him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless his name. Let's stand together as we worship by singing. Oh, Lord.
his name. And you know, as we were singing, I was looking at this beautiful arrangement and reminded that tomorrow is September the 11th. We have so much to remember, so much to be grateful for. But I pray that every sacrifice that comes to mind, whether lives that have been given in order that we might have freedom or have been given because there are those who have sought to take it from us, that everyone will remind us that Jesus has come in order that we might know the truth and be free. So may God bless you to know him in his glory today, that you may go forth in the freedom and liberty purchased for us at such an inestimable price. And I'm telling you right now, however wonderful it's been in these moments, it's just a foretaste of what we one day shall know. And so, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. And may He be gracious unto you and lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Everyone said together, Amen. Amen.